My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome back to FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and FOMO Sapiens 24-7. And today we're going to talk to Jason Karp, who is the founder and CEO of HumanCo, and it is a mission-driven holding company that is fanatical about creating products that help people to live healthier lives. Now, before that, Jason was the founder and CEO of Turbillion Capital Partners. I hope I said that right. And it was an investment fund that managed over $4 billion. And he has more than 20 years of investment experience. So he kind of went from Wall Street into entrepreneurship. And he's also been an investor in a bunch of cool companies that help us live better, like Nutrinex, Aura, Airgraph, Primal Kitchen, Beekeepers Naturals, and our old friends at Magic Spoon. Now, you'll remember that Magic Spoon, we talked to the founder, the co-founder, last season. And uh, it's a really interesting story. And of course, they help people to live better. Now, on this episode, you're going to learn a couple things. Number one, you're going to hear about the very personal reasons why Jason started a wellness company and then left his $4 billion hedge fund to go all in on building something for the industry. He talks about how hard it was to leave this very high-flying life in this hedge fund world in New York City to do something completely different and how a lot of people just looked at him like it was a little crazy. He also talks about how success looks from the outside. This is a person who's had a lot of success and he recognized, you know, it looks so great from the outside, but living it, especially if you have a passion that's different than what you're doing all day, can be very different than what it looks like. And finally, this is a guy who kind of always knows the hot place to be spending time, investing time and building things. And so he'll tell us how he figures that out. Now, my small ask of the week, I mentioned Magic Spoon a second ago. Go back and find that episode. It's a really good one. It aired on November 19th, 2020. And while you're there in the archives, pick around and see if there's anything else that appeals to you. And if you don't mind, subscribe and give me some stars and a nice review. It really helps people to discover the show. And now onto the interview. I started our conversation with my favorite question by asking Jason this. What's the most important decision that you've had to make to get to where you are today? So I, I was frequently sick as a child, you know, all the way through high school, always had sinus infections, always sort of felt like off, had terrible, terrible allergies, never really knew why. And then uh, but I just sort of thought that was like, you know, the cards I was dealt. And then when I got to um, uh, when I started working, I was a college athlete. I always thought I was healthy. You know, people always thought I was healthy. Um, but I didn't really know what healthy meant. And I was raised kind of in the eighties and nineties when sort of healthy was things like snack wells and like no fat and all sorts of, um, you know, wrong nutritional information. And then in my first two years of working, I went straight out of college to a hedge fund, very, very high, uh, stress, long hours, you know, really intense. I thought I wanted to do the work hard, play hard thing, which, which most, you know, uh, overachieving types like to do out of college. And I got really sick in my second and third year of working. Um, I, I started developing a whole variety of, of symptoms. I was losing my hair in clumps. I, I had psoriasis. 
Um, I, I felt just terrible all the time. I had horrific brain fog. Um, and, and then what really was bad was I started losing my vision. Um, and I, I had double vision, um, uh, and I was diagnosed with the degenerative corneal disease where they told me I was going to be blind by the age of 30, fully blind. Um, and, uh, and that was like a death sentence to me. I mean, uh, everyone who's listening obviously can appreciate what it would be like to literally go blind in your twenties. Um, and it was, it was a really difficult period for me. And they told me there was no cure. They told me it was a degenerative eye disease. It was sort of the cards I was dealt and like too bad. And, um, I didn't believe it. I refused to believe it. Um, it was sort of a, a, a naivete that I think served me well. Um, I've always been a bit anti-establishment and not really believing authority. And uh, I went down a lot of rabbit holes. This is back in 2001 uh, when health and wellness wasn't really a thing. Um, and Eastern medicine and now what they call functional medicine, which addresses the root causes of diseases instead of the symptoms, wasn't again, acknowledged as a real form of science and medicine. And now it is today. And um, I, the long story short is I cured myself through food and lifestyle over the next, you know, call it 12 to 16 months. Um, and I fully reversed everything, including my seemingly incurable eye disease. Um, and then from there, you know, I sort of developed this, this, this uh, mindset that you shouldn't accept dogma and you shouldn't accept kind of uh, expert, uh, guidance, uh, if it doesn't sort of feel right to you. Um, and, and I decided to really devote a big part of my life to health and wellness and to understanding sort of why I got sick, why I was able to reverse it, what was wrong with sort of all the modern belief system around health and wellness. Um, and, uh, and and yeah, so it was very, very personal to me. You know, I, I view that almost as a near death experience, because I, of how sick I was, I was deeply depressed. Um, and I felt like there was no uh, hope. It's amazing just listening to the story because uh, listeners to, to the show know that I have kind of a similar experience where after the financial crisis in 2008, I was working at AIG. So AIG blows up. I have, I'm suddenly like at the doctor's, he's got me on a heart monitor. I have blurry vision uh, for months on end and then through a bunch of changes was able to get back on track. And so, you know, I think many of us, we have people who have been successful and, and haven't hit a wall and then you hit that wall and you're sort of like, well, I can't sort of the work hard, play hard. You mentioned like pushing, pushing until you hit the wall. It's not sustainable. And so you make changes now. You took this and you started a business. So how did all of this end up manifesting itself into building Human Co? And what is Human Co? The more people become educated about the toxic elements of modern living, and it sounds sensationalist, but it's quite well documented. Everything from plastics to the chemicals that are in our food supply to pesticides, herbicides, uh, to highly processed food with lots of fake ingredients, all of these things have been clinically shown without any debate or controversy that these are terrible for human health, that they're a dramatic influence on the obesity, diabetes, heart disease, modern chronic diseases epidemic that we're all facing. Um, and I find that, that the more people sort of get educated and aware about all this stuff, the harder it is to live 
in a sort of happy, free state. You're always paranoid. You're always skeptical. You're always asking questions like, who made this? What's in it? Who is behind it? What's it going to do to me? And, and, and I find it's really hard to live uh, a conscious and conscientious lifestyle. And so Human Co. was really an outgrowth of everything that I've done for the last 20 years. Um, my family and I uh, built a, a health and wellness oriented food company called Hue Kitchen. Hue stood for human. And our tagline at Hue is get back to human. We're really known for our organic, simple ingredient uh, chocolates. Uh, but we also have grain-free cookies. We have grain-free crackers. Um, and it started with that. And I was also an angel investor and advisor and a board member of several other uh, health and wellness oriented companies uh, across called what I'll call modern living, which includes you know anything you put in your body. Uh, so think of food, beverage, supplements, nutrition, anything you put on your body. So think of uh, personal care, beauty, household products like soaps, et cetera. Uh, and then technology um, that goes into living a healthier uh, lifestyle and it sort of allows you and makes it easier for you to live a healthier lifestyle. Think of like the Aura Ring, um, uh, which I was uh, an early investor in. And, and I was doing all of this um, because this is where my personal passions are. And frankly, it's what I need to do to stay healthy, uh, given my own autoimmune issues. And I wanted to build a singular company uh, that wasn't a fund that had permanent capital so that we didn't have like a duration or a, or a fuse on how long we could hold these investments. Um, and to basically buy companies that we think um, allow people uh, to live a healthier lifestyle with trust uh, and to incubate companies from scratch. FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages, but I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now, when you started doing all of these things, you were actually running your own hedge fund at the time, not just a tiny little hedge fund either. This is a hedge fund that had over $4 billion in assets under management, which is a lot of money. And you decided to leave all of that behind. And I got to imagine that your peers, the people that you saw every day in the industry, they looked at you like you were nuts. So did you feel pressure not to leave behind what is a very lucrative and prestigious industry where you were doing really well to go off and do something completely different? Uh, I felt tremendous pressure. And and it was, you know, look, I think, I, I think when it comes to decisions I've made, I think I've made a lot of poor decisions that were, that were good decisions financially for me. 
and good decisions based on what I thought was expected of me and were were really sort of exogenous or external uh, expectations of me. Um, but they were bad decisions for my health. They were bad decisions for what I'll call my soul uh, and my happiness. Um, and, and And that was a very difficult thing for me to sort of get my hands around um, because I was in these circles, you know, I went to Wharton undergrad, which is, you know, a super competitive, very sort of money, success, financially focused school. Uh, you know, it's the best, I think it's still the best business school in the country, but it, it recruits people who are specifically very ambitious for success in business. And so I was there. Then I went to New York city which, you know, the whole city revolves around finance and money and, and, and visible kind of success. Uh, and then I was in the hedge fund industry, which is sort of the, you know, the ultimate manifestation of all this. Yeah, we, we all watch Billions, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't watch Billions because it makes me feel poor. But yeah, the, the point is that it is all about the money. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I worked at the firm that was modeled, that Billions was modeled off. Of. So it was... Um, you know, it, it, I was in that lifestyle very much. And 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 for a while, I really liked it. Um, I sort of had a love-hate relationship with it. Um, but what was challenging for me, uh, you know, and this is one of those things that's sort of hard to talk about publicly uh, because people like to throw stones. But, you know, when you're at the top of your game and you're the leader of a firm and you're very visibly financially successful, um, people presume because of the financial success, they presume that everything's great. And, and so it's very, for, for that person. And it's very hard to, to say to people around you, like, I'm not happy. Um, or this is really difficult for me. Um, because people are like, like, why should you complain? Like, you know, you're, you're, you know, you've made X, Y, Z, or you're this, or you're that. And, and there's this expectation that, because you sort of fit this this part that people think is what success looks like, um, you can't really show that you're vulnerable, and 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 that was really tough. And so I had a lot of peers and friends who were envious of what my financial kind of success appeared like, um, and I could never say to them like, "Yeah, I'm kind of done with this," because they would say like you know, I wish I was in your spot. Like, you know, how dare you? How dare you get to where you've gotten and not appreciate what you have? Um, and that was a really, really hard thing for me um, because there's merit to that that view. Um, and I was always fortunate in, in how I was able to make decisions. I, I've certainly been blessed with a lot of luck as well. And, um, and it was extremely difficult for me, but I, I think a lot of my closer peers who I could confide in, who didn't have jealousy issues, um, always knew I was I was so passionate about health and wellness. You know, we started Hugh as a family, my brother-in-law, Jordan Brown, uh, and my wife, Jessica. Um, we started Hugh officially in 2012, but we started thinking about it in 2010, uh, initially as a restaurant. Um, and that was about halfway through my hedge fund career. And so my closest friends knew that I, I did have this passion for health and wellness. They always thought it was just sort of a hobby. 
which initially it was, but the more uh, time I spent on it, and frankly, the more investing I did, even public markets for my hedge fund within the health and wellness space, both long and short, the more I realized that this is where sort of my energy and my happiness sort of met what I wanted to spend all my hours on. And, and I feel like anyone will be really successful at where their natural energies gravitate. Um, and so for me, it was really around this. And and I kind of hit a wall. But 2015 was a really, really important year for me because it was it was this year where um, our, our assets, you know, got to four and a half billion. We uh, we won best new hedge fund of the year from institutional investor, which was sort of like the Oscar, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and and we had three years in a row of really strong returns. And I remember at, at, at when we won the award, um, I remember saying to my wife, like, I don't think I could do better than this. Like, this is literally like this is like winning a championship ring, you know, in sports or winning an os- Oscar in acting. Like, this is what I've been doing my whole life to do. And I just did it. And, and you know, from like all aspects, the money, the, the achievement, the accolades, whatever you want to say. And I was miserable. And my health was terrible. And I was looking around like, oh, my God. And, and I had a, a, a mentor. Uh, I won't say who it is, but, but uh, an extremely accomplished, extremely wealthy person who once said to me, I've been to the top of the mountain and there's nothing to see. Oh, wow. And 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 I really felt that at that moment. Um, and that was sort of like that was my real wake up call. Now, there's this interesting dynamic here, and this is something that I think, you know, I'm, I imagine right now people are listening and some of you who are listening are like, oh, you're this is really resonating. Right. Because. There's this idea out there like if, you know, you you keep pushing forward, even if you're not happier or you're not getting what you need, that, you know, if the money is there, like I'll keep saving the money and then someday dot, 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 I'll do what I want to do, right? And one of the beauties, by the way, of doing, for example, working in a hedge fund is you save enough money that you have the flexibility to go off and do other things you want to do, right? So it's not like it's all bad, right? It gives you more opportunities and flexibility than you would have had otherwise. But I'm curious, Jason, as you think about that, like everybody has the different numbers. So for one person, it's like, I'm going to go do what I want to do today. I have nothing in my bank account. For another person, they couldn't have, I have one buddy who, who, who I won't say who it is, who's like, will never feel successful unless he has a hundred million dollars in the bank. And I always say, well, like, that's really sad because like you wouldn't even know what to do with all that money. And so as you think yep. about a person who's listening right now, who is in a job that they don't necessarily like, wants to do something different, but also has that fear of, you know, kind of, I don't want to say scarcity mindset because for some people, yeah, you, you know, we do need a certain amount of money to just pay the bills. Like, how do you think about making a decision about when enough is enough in the day job and you've got enough in the bank that you can go off and do something else that's going to potentially even make you a lot more money, but also just at least make you happier and and more fulfilled in your career? Yeah, this is a great question. And and, and it's sort of an age old question. And and it's one that I've thought about for for, you know, since I was probably 10 years old and, um, you know, I grew up in a household that sort of prided work ethic. My father was a, was a, a retail stockbroker, uh, for Merrill Lynch, you know, which was sort of like a, like a great job 
growing up in a middle class kind of area. And um, and I always had these aspirations uh, of of being financially independent. Um, and, and, you know, and I grew up kind of in that 80s, you know, culture of movies like Wall Street and, and you know, and things like that. And, and you know, I think it's a very dangerous uh, hamster wheel um, where you can't get off of it, you know, and, and I've seen it all around me, particularly in my old industry, the hedge fund industry, where guys would have a number, you know, first it's 10, then it's 30, then it's 50, then it's 100. And, and, and then, you know, they're always looking around at who's bigger and better than them. And it, it, and it's never enough. Um, I, I've met very, very, very few people, I literally could count them on one hand, that were able to make a lot of money and then just stop and be like, okay, I did it. I'm done. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I mean, I think it's extraordinarily difficult to do that, especially if you see a pathway where you can keep making more money. And, and it's a very, you know, money is a very dangerous uh, addiction and drug. Uh, and, and it's sort of a form of power. Um, but I do applaud people for wanting to have financial independence. And I think, um, you know, being an entrepreneur or going into a high stress, very difficult type of field where you can make a lot of money um, requires a lot of sacrifices that I think a lot of people don't fully understand. Um, and and sacrifices for your your uh, living, for your happiness, for your health, for what other things you can do and pursue. And I also think this notion, which is very popular now, and maybe I'm a little bit of a sort of an old geezer, this notion of like, you should start in the job that is your true calling and, 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 and it has to be fulfilling. Like, I think that's garbage. Um, you know, I think it's very difficult. You have to earn the right to, to get into that position. And you have to pay your dues in a lot of ways. And you have to learn from a lot of different types of people um, and have a lot of mentors along the way. I mean, I had many roles and jobs that I thought were terrible and I and I didn't like, but I viewed them almost like the cost of education and, and learning. And I think it's really important to to just be introspective. And and as you're doing things and as you're working in different roles and different jobs to keep a log or at least to be really introspective and think like, I didn't like this because of why. And really, really think through why you don't like it, you know, because there's a lot of reasons why people don't like work. Right. You know, it could be menial labor that's just repetitive. It could be that it's not challenging. It could be that it's too challenging. It could be that you don't like the people around you. It could be that there's no purpose to what you're doing. And I think it's super important that each person sort of thinks through why is it that I'm not liking this? And then also, like, what aspects of the job you do like? And then to just keep, you know, the key to me about good decision making is always keeping your options open and always iterating um, and, and, and constantly exposing yourself to enough things that you can fairly say, I've seen a lot and now I kind of know the general direction of what I like and what I don't like. And that would be sort of my advice. FOMO. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. 
NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to NetSuite.com slash FOMO. That's NetSuite.com slash FOMO. NetSuite.com slash FOMO. FOMO. I think it's good advice. And and I do agree. I mean, these you say it's a geezer perspective, right? I, I think the same way. It's like that first job out of college, like it terrified me working on Wall Street because I was like, didn't want to work the hours. But you get this education that serves you and all the, and you can leave that, but you have that with you the rest of your career and on your CV and your head. Now, Jason, you have one of the things that really amazed me about you as I read your, your, your background is like, you seem to have this incredible talent of being able to spot the place that is going to be a really huge opportunity next. So, you know, you went to the hedge fund world and then you built up the hedge fund. You get into health and wellness, you know, early on in the trend and have turned this into this huge company, HumanCo, and you're building these brands and you're acquiring brands. You're building this, you know, I guess what some have described as a Berkshire Hathaway model of wellness. And then you get into the SPAC world, which is another area where we'll see where that plays out. But, you know, it's like it, it's become this huge um, part of, of finance and it's, you know, it's the hot space to be in. So you have this ability to sort of see things in, before other people, which I think is unusual. And maybe, 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 you know, that maybe you don't. But I, I just as I, you know, I see pattern recognition, in a lot of things I do. And I'm like, this guy, like, I should just follow him around and, and do exactly what he's doing. What is it that allows you to do that? <laughs> it's, a, it's a good question. Um, I think it's a combination of a bunch of things. Um, you know, I, I, I think an analogy I like to give is um, I, I was a, a, a very enthusiastic and, and studious poker player starting from when I was in, you know, middle school. Um, and, and, you know, I, and before kind of online poker, I read every book that was available on it. I played a ton. Um, you know, my first year of working, I made more playing poker than I did in my job. Um, and so I was technically a semi-professional poker player in 1998. And, um, and I use poker as a metaphor for training, uh, or I used to, for training my analysts uh, and my team in investing. And I think poker is a great metaphor for life uh, as well. And and one of the things, uh, as it relates to decision-making and, and why I think I'm able to spot things a lot faster, is, is I have invested heavily in my own education around uh, patterns and around history and around uh, case studies. And, and I just love absorbing lessons, uh, uh, good lessons and, 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 and frankly, a lot of bad lessons like mistakes and failures. And, and, you know, I remember my failures and my losses far, far better than I remember any of my wins. Um, and, and I make sure that I don't repeat those mistakes. And, and I think a lot of I think a lot of my my good decisions or, or, or whatever success I've had are a function of me making mistakes less often 
than my peers um, because I learned them either the hard way or from other people. Um, the analogy with poker, though, that's so important is is if, if you understand all the odds, um, you know there's ba- there, there's a finite number of hands you could be dealt if, in a game like Texas Hold'em. And the beauty of, of online poker when that was created is you could sit in front of your computer and instead of playing one game where you would see one hand every, you know, two minutes or so, you could open up five or six or seven windows and literally see as many hands as you want and just keep folding until you see, you know, what they call sort of premium hands, things like pocket aces or pocket kings or pocket queens or what have you. Um, And I sort of view my life as a metaphor for playing online poker, where I try to expose myself to as many hands as I can. And, And I have a good pattern recognition system now where I could sort of see things and I see what is the equivalent of pocket aces or pocket kings. And most of the time I'm folding. I'm looking at tons and tons of hands all the time. And I'm reading everything I can get my hands on, you know, from business journals to scientific journals to USA Today. And 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 then I start to sort of see patterns. Um, and a lot of it also has to do with my own um, uh, kind of my own uh, attraction to something, you know, and, and, and I find that my own attraction tends to be pretty good in terms of its its read through to the public. So when I started eating, you know, really healthy stuff and I would come across stuff that I thought was actually delicious and that I was binging on, um, you know, I, I, I sort of thought like, oh, if I'm binging on this and it meets my standards, I think everyone else is going to do it, too. And so a lot of my influence also w- was Steve Jobs um, and this idea of, you know, recognizing what I want in the world and then and then sort of developing a framework where I believe other people are going to want it. Um, and that if it meets my standards, I think it'll be something that'll be really different. Um, and, and so it's 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 a lot of those different elements um, in terms of sort of how I spot things. Uh, but but the most important variable is exposure. You know, if you don't see a lot of ideas, you're not going to have uh, an ability to sort of pick what you think is going to be the next thing. All right. So the company is Humanco. You can check it out at humanco.com. And you can check out Snow Days Pizza Bites. I tried it myself. Jason was nice enough to send it my way. And let's just say that the family devoured them. And I, this is not a, uh, a paid endorsement. I just ate them all. <laughs> So they're pretty good. Uh, all right. Jason Karp, founder of and CEO of Human Co. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me. FOMO. Big news. We now have a brand new website. So head over to FOMOSapiens.com where you can listen to past episodes, learn more about the show, and find out how to advertise. Also, head over to Spotify where you can find and follow playlists of the best of the show. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you, so don't be shy. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstrup. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO. FOMO.